And welcome into another post-game edition of Spits and Suds. So glad you can join us tonight. Unfortunately, it was a tough one to watch, but we're here for a reason. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fans. So happy to be joined by David Castillo of D Magazine. And David, my friend, how are you? I'm doing good. You don't give yourself enough credit for having a really quality radio voice, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's wow. like there's a real like there's a confidence there, but also kind of the sort of radio playfulness that that you sometimes. Yeah, like I, I think it's yeah, I've heard a few people, you namely, give me credit for a quote unquote radio voice. I'm like, you know, a radio voice, I think, requires like a proper silver tongue. Like, I don't have that. Like, it just doesn't flow the way it does um, for spittle for, for Dr. you know spittle what here. You made me smile and I appreciate <laughs> it. So that's going to do it for tonight. I'm Gavin Spittle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, listen, this was a much hyped game and it is just one game and we have to keep that in mind. Um, uh, however, just didn't seem like the legs were there. Just didn't seem I, I, I'm going to start with this and I'm going to express my opinion. And this is the great thing about having David and he can disagree with me and he can talk about what he wants to talk about. Absolutely love the guys that join us. David is a regular contributor. Robert Tiffin's a great contributor. Sean Shapiro, Craig Ludwig. Um, I saw it on Twitter, and I'm just going to say this. Yes, you would like your goalie to stand on their head in big games. However, I didn't feel as though like I'm watching. I'm like, okay, first goal, one-timer, no coverage. Second goal. Jake Ottinger makes three saves and then the puck finally goes in. I just felt as though the goals were more defensive lapses than the goaltending tonight. I'm not saying Jake Ottinger played his best game at all, David, but what I'm saying is, is sometimes you have to look elsewhere than your netminder. I think it's, it's easy to kind of look at Ottinger because broadly speaking, he hasn't had a great season. Correct. Um, but I agree with you. In fact, like, I don't, I don't know if people know this. The edge in high danger chances in the first period was 10 to 4 in Colorado's favor. Colorado with 10 high danger chances. That is, Those are chances right in the slot area of the ice, by the way. Mm. So 10 to 4 is just brutal. And, and yeah, like, I don't, you know, it's not just about the fact that a shot gets generated there. It's also about what that does for the goalie's psychology and, and the ripple effect that has when you're just when the team just has that much time and space to execute from essentially wherever they want at will. Um, so I, I agree with you 100 percent on that one. I think the other aspect just from a, a generality, David, is you saw the big players of Colorado step up and they are certainly elite. Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Rantanen. You saw those guys, you know, shine tonight. Even their goalie was terrific. Um, and then I look at the stars and I'm like, okay, we had Logan Stankoven, who once again just played well and hustled all over the place. Wyatt Johnson, I think, played well. Um, and then after that, I just had a big question mark. And 
Um, you know, it shouldn't be that way. There should be situations where your best players truly shine. And especially when it comes to some veterans, I, I feel as though they need to step up in these situations and you know, it's the little things, David. And I know I'm very old school when it comes like this, when time's running down in the second period and you're getting your tail kicked in and an unnecessary check is thrown against one of your best players, Wyatt Johnston. And I am anti every check deserves a fight. But I think that's where you get a little physical and say, no, can't happen. You know, like, I, I don't know if you saw the uh, Matt Remp versus uh, uh, Delorier's fight the other day. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I won't lie. There's definitely a kind of this just like reptile brain sort of trigger that, um, that gets activated in response to kind of some of, the, some of that. And I think maybe that says a lot about like the team's mindset right now. Maybe not necessarily like long term, maybe the playoffs kind of wakes them up. But like, I do think there is something to be said for, I don't know, that not necessarily like an emotional investment. We, like we know that they care, of course. I think it's really a, a matter of like it says a lot about engagement. Right. And I think that's the part that you wanted to see. And um, yeah, it's it's telling that um, sort of nobody did engage. I thought the same thing. I was actually surprised that nothing happened because yeah. I like I it just on first watch, it looked like boring to me. It um, did not, not like intentional, like Gerard right. wasn't, I think it was Sam Gerard. It, like, it didn't look like, you know, he was, it looked like kind of one of those awkward plays, bad angles and sort of the end result was unfortunate, but nonetheless, th there was, <laughs> you know, Gerard was aiming for him. It's, it's not like he just like, oops, am I bad? No, no, no. He was, he was going in for the hit, got him, perhaps a little bit more than he might have thought, but it looked bad on first watch. And that's usually the response you expect. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the third point I have is that, well, I have four points. Another, another <laughs> point is, is man, you really should win the central because I do not want to face Colorado in the first round. This is just a tough matchup. You're Owen three and you have one more game against them. Um, I think Winnipeg's a better matchup, but you know, you never know. So you, you do have control of your own destiny as far as winning. Winnipeg has a lot of games in hand, but I look at the quality wins, David, and I, I know that's something that like that's my own stat, so to speak. But I mean, I go back to January 23rd, a nice win in Detroit against the Red Wings. Um, and then I look at two wins against Carolina. Um, other than that, it's kind of been a struggle against, you know, teams, Boston lost Rangers lost. You can say that the stars, you know, outshot them and played better than Boston. I'd actually agree with you on that, but I mean, a loss is a loss. So I, I just look at throughout the year, the, the quality wins just haven't been there in, in big moments when you face, you know, uh, teams like the Avs, the Bruins, the Rangers on a consistent basis. Well, I think kind of adding to that, you know, it's like, you know, it's fitting that on a night when Nathan McKinnon in the top line, like really dominated, um, you know, one of the stories that that I, I've sort of that I feel deserves way more, way more highlight is just the lack of dominance from the top line. And yeah. we make a big deal about the depth as we should, like the depth is borderline historic at this point. However, you know, there's a reason why it, the Colorado was such a, a sort of almost kind of like a, a thesis against uh, Dallas's depth where 
didn't matter what Dallas or what Colorado had below them. You put Nathan McKinnon and co on ice for 26, 27 minutes a night. And this is what you get. And, and Dallas's top line. And keep in mind, I, I don't, I think, you know, Robert Tiffin had a really great article about Robertson's um, kind of newfound defense. And even though I think there's a larger story there about kind of maybe sort of, you know, what's maybe kind of like hidden beneath the numbers. Like I, I've already started kind of some film room analysis, kind of trying to work on a piece about that. And the funny thing is like, it, it really is there. So this is not like, oh, Robertson, Hintz and Pavelski are bad. It's no, as a group, that chemistry is not there. And I'll, you know, listen, like I'll go ahead and say it, man. I, Pavelski to me has, has finally hit that wall. People yes. don't want to say it because, well, hey, man, but but he's still producing. Production and performance are two different things. Um, and and I think he he's obviously a guy that still has value. Of course, I'm not trying to say that he's a bad player or anything like that, but he's in that bend phase where you really need others to kind of prop him up because he can't necessarily pull his own weight like he used to. And and I think that's honestly that's a big factor in kind of why that line is just doesn't have the chemistry it once did. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, and that's what I love about doing the podcast is is that you know there has to be a maturity, and that's what I love what you said because you're right. I think you know the pucks aren't going in the net for Joe Pavelski, and the positioning just is you know there are a lot of things where you're just like oh wow this you know because of the age, so it it, it it's it's natural. I'm gonna throw another one out there. You know, similar to Pavelski because he's so popular. Uh, Miro Heiskanen, and I really, really like the player, David. Um, I just think, like, tonight's an example where um, I just saw, like, from... And I don't know if DeBoer, from a strategy standpoint, was as soon as you get the puck, get it out of the zone. But, you know, if you have the speed of, let's say, a Heiskanen, and a Thomas Harley. I mean, we, that was completely neutralized. We did not see them like carrying the puck for an extended period of time, rushing, putting the pressure on the forwards to get back for Colorado. It just felt like, you know, if it if it gets in the Dallas zone, get it out as soon as you can. And I just don't think since Miro coming back, I just, you know, I'm not seeing, you know, what I want to see of a, a player that, a lot of people thought had that elite quality. I think, I think that's like, I, I would agree. However, I would just say that, like, I think that's kind of, you weigh that against your expectation, right? For, and this is not like directed at you, but I think for most fans, Heiskanen's where the expectation is Norris. I mean, that was Heiskanen's own words, right? His campaign yes. early in the season was like, Hey, I'm, I'm gunning for that. And, and so I think when you think of Norris, you think of a player that, is is well-rounded but sort of you know gears towards offense and i think for heiskanen it's yes it's like the offense is is i don't think ever gonna it's just it's never gonna be there not on the level right. of like a macar that's like one thing um i think the other thing is like a little bit of not that i would ever reduce it to this but um i apologize for not knowing the name of the any of the broadcasters on espn because I, I just i don't I'm not, like I said, I'm tough, tough sell when it comes to broadcast, but even they were talking about high skin, talking about the trade deadline and anticipating certain moves. It wasn't high level analysis, but they still discussed getting high skin back to his strong side. And I'm like, even you get it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, 
I think Dallas will always have to kind of reckon with the fact, unless they do something about it, reckon with the fact that you, I mean, Kale McCarr doesn't play on his left side. Right. I mean, like, like I, I, and I get that, yes, Heiskanen is elite and he can play on his weak side, still be effective because he's so good, but that's different than leveraging his strengths, maximizing it to its fullest capacity. And so I think there's definitely a little bit of like, reckoning with the fact that, well, you have an elite defenseman that's not maximized positionally, that um, also isn't necessarily what you might want him to be, uh, which I think is okay because he's still an elite defenseman. But but I think in that context, yeah, you can say, hey, like Heiskanen, like, (laughs) um, you know, you have an elite partner now. Um, So so what's it going to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point. I think let's see where he is at his maximum strength and clearly that would be on you like you said on the correct side and also how they make that yeah sorry real quick i do want to add something else that i think is kind of really sort of a funny wrinkle which is we all heard about sort of high school and working on his his slap shot in the off season can we just say like listen if if he had if he's been scoring goals with it like great but like who cares? Like that was never his strength to begin with. The fact yeah. that he's like taking more slap shots, like I, I not only do I not really care, but also he hasn't been particularly effective with them. He just kind of kind of bludgeons them the way you would expect out of like a hawk and paw. And <clears throat> excuse me, maybe he'll he'll get there, but it's not there right now. And so I, I, those feel like wasted opportunities sometimes. Yeah, I, I talked to Craig about that today, and that was actually you know one of the things that I brought up is is that. I understand it might be more of an old school mentality, but some teams do it. And I do feel as though it can be effective if you can have that big shot from the point at times and it can kind of create some havoc. And, you know, uh, especially if you're on the power play, it's an added weapon. And um, yeah, it's just not a star's philosophy. It seems like, you know, they just, they, they want to get it in front of the net with that wrist shot and, and hopefully it'll get tipped. Um, yeah. So if he was practicing it on the off season, it's certainly not being used and, uh, or if it is being used, it's just not effective. Well, not only that, but it's, it's, it's an odd thing to me because, uh, this is something that Fluto Shinzawa, who's fantastic, uh, Boston reporter at the athletic, uh, wrote about earlier in the season, which is, the decline of the slap shot. And of course, I think most people are kind of familiar with, you know, more or less the story, but um, you know, teams don't take slap shots anymore. And it's not just kind of showing up in the analytics. It's, it's easy to see why as well, you know, goalies just have uh, you know, can fight through vision much better. And of course, you know, the, the more time you give them to anticipate a shot, you know, the more effectively they're going to stop it. So I think that's kind of another thing that I just don't like, I, I think philosophically, which is, I don't want them I don't want to see them taking slap shots to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of talk about, you know, Colorado and whether um, Gorgiev can, you know, he might play 60 games this year and whether he'll get worn out and we'll keep monitoring it, but, you know, looked pretty fresh tonight. Yeah. Colorado, it's, I think sort of their, their strength and the reason why, and, and it's it's always easy to kind of get sucked into sort of quote, quote, the narrative, right? It's like, well, you know, hey, Vegas wins the cup. They're a big team, so you should be bigger. Colorado wins the cup. They're a skilled team, so you should be more skilled. Uh, the nature of number, right, number one goalies versus having like a tandem like Boston did last year. Um, 
And I think I think it's it's just largely up to the team specifically, and I think it's that tends to be team specific. And so, I think the reason why he works is not just because like he's a capable goaltender, but because Colorado doesn't you know really require their goalies to work a whole lot, right? They specialize in keeping the puck, maintaining it, and just not having to defend. So it's so it really it's it's a nice little uh, arrangement with their goalies that they have. You know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, you watch the game tonight and you're like, hmm, boy, that Andrew Cogliano, man, that's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird because I like, I don't, don't yeah, I know. I, do, I just don't remember Cogliano. Like I, I remember as a good player with the stars clearly, but I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't remember like his effectiveness like he was tonight. I mean, so what I'll say to that, because this was like something that I just uh, something that just kind of broke my brain um, at every turn during the Hitchcock era, the bonus era, even the first Montgomery year, which is that, um, yes, I would say this is a little bit of like an accident and sort of a Cogliano just kind of getting hot for for one night, because I think before then, right, it'd been like 14 games until he had a goal. Uh, But um, but. Cogliano is now in a system that leverages his speed. Uh, he never, like, he was never like a goal scorer, but he, I remember thinking he always had a really good shot, um, uh, you know, mid, mid flight. And so, anyways, you have a system that really leverages that. So, Cogliano in a system that is telling him, hey, uh, I need you, even if we have possession on the four check, I need you going back to the neutral zone. <laughs> that kind of, that sort yeah. of that trap, you know. So the system definitely makes a difference. It's not like always the case for all players, but I, I definitely do think that um, we saw a little bit of what could have been with his speed and at least some shooting ability, especially for a depth player, but it was never going to be uh, unleashed the way it was in Colorado. Uh, 